it's sort of like a 2023 word of sorts. Um, prophetic encouragement. But I've entitled it, Get Out of the Boat. I, uh, I love what Greg Moore said last Sunday when he was here, when he talked about butts. Not, I hope your imagination didn't go where it shouldn't. He said, you don't butt the truth with the facts. You butt the facts with the truth. Facts in the natural don't always coincide with the truth of what God has said. But that doesn't undo what God has said. Amen. We stand on what God has said despite how things look. But you don't need the Billy Goat ministry. Where you butt the truth with the facts. Amen. Amen. What we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we smell, and what we feel is very real to us. There's no getting around that. We're human beings. That's reality, right? Yes. And it's often more real to us than the truth that we find in the Word of God spoken concerning us. Yes. Moses was before a burning bush and told, you're the deliverer for my people in Egypt. Moses was having a hard time believing that. Because when he looked at himself, when he, when he took stock of what was in the natural, he was like, how can that be? But God's Word is more powerful than what you can see in your now moment. It's greater than that. So how can we overcome our five senses which we use to determine the facts so often? Because that's a real battle, saints. I know it is for me. It's a real battle. Sometimes I'm in that, that gear mode. I'm a, I'm a logical thinking person. I'm a highly practical guy. You know, I'm a fix-it kind of individual. If it's broken, hey, fine, let's make it work. So for me, sometimes slipping into that natural way of thinking is the easiest thing in the world. And I have to shake myself out of that place of being to that back to that place of, but wait a minute, Lord, what do you say about this? Before I go into my fix-it mode in the natural, I need to hear what you're saying about this. Now much of what we need to do begins and ends with faith in the integrity of God. The finished work of Jesus. And the promised faithfulness and power of the Holy Spirit, which is ours. And we start there because God, saints, upholds His Word. Look with me, if you will, at Psalms 89, 34. I have several Psalms I want to begin with this morning. Psalms 89, 34. He says it very plainly there. He says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. What God has spoken to you, confirmed it in His word to you. You can take that to the bank. In Psalm 119.25, it says this, My soul clings to the dust. Think of that. Man, that's a statement of I'm in despair, right? Yeah. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Yes. Your word. Your word. 
Psalm 119.28, just three verses down. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. He sent his word and healed them. Doesn't it say that in the scripture? We often yield to what seems most real to us in the natural. We feel it. We see it unfolding. And because of that, we often very confidently make our confession for the thing in the natural. Well, I just, I am. Whether you like it or not, words have power. What you agree with has power. I'm not talking about metaphysics here. I'm not talking about mysticism. Jesus himself said, by your words you shall be justified. By your words you shall be condemned. Why is he saying that? He's trying to let us know that what we have as our confession is very important. I like the way Greg put it. He said, listen to somebody. When they say but, listen to what comes after that because now you're going to find out what they really believe. I used to get told by many of my family members, this is what runs in our family. I would add my butt. But I'm a new creation in Christ, and that's not my heritage. If you want it, you can have it. I reject it. Come on. Cindy, when you're telling about your sister, this is not a rebuke to you at all. It's an encouragement. But I heard very, very clearly by the Spirit to tell you that no, this was not the best thing that could be as a report. That best is on its way. Totally healed. Totally healed. No traces. No fear of it coming back. Are you hearing me? We don't just want the cancer gone. We want the remnants of what it tried to do to the soul gone forever. I'm telling you, we need to get a little, little more aggressive in the body of Christ about what we're going to take as territory in the earth and quit settling for some things. Are you hearing me? You need a, we need a Caleb spirit in the church who at 80 years of age said, I will up my mountain, I was promised. Well, Caleb, you're 80 and it's inhabited by enemy forces. I don't care. I want my mountain. And he went up the mountain and he defeated his enemy and he took what was his. There are some things in this life you're meant to fight. The battle about. Right. There are other things in this life you're meant to just take a rest and let the Lord fight the battle. You have to discern it. If you're not in relationship actively with Him, you will not have the capacity to discern your moment. Amen. And you might apply the wrong thing to your situation. So I'm not telling you every situation marriage is you putting up your fist in the face of the enemy and going at it. Right. 
I'm not telling you that every situation you're in requires you to go sit in the recliner and take your ease. All of it differs. Different seasons in our life. We have to, through relationship to Him and, the, and, and our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, be able to discern what our moment is. We need His wisdom and His guidance in every single phase of our life. Amen? So we can see things in a natural unfolding. We can be confessing to those things, even arguing for them. I've gone to people before, and they said, well, the doctor said, and I said, well, that's not your report. But the doctor said. I'm like, okay. If you don't want what I got to give you, we can do that. But I'm not here to confirm what the doctor said. I'm not here to confirm what your friends told you. I'm not here to confirm the report of an enemy in your life. I'm here to confirm what he says about you. That's what I want to confirm. Part of the reason that we're so adamant about these things that we feel so strongly is we don't want to be seen as being out of touch with reality. We're scared somebody's going to call the man in the white coat. Come. You're speaking craziness, dude. Surrounded by his enemies. In the press of a situation, the psalmist writes, I shall live and shall not die. I remember when I was young and crazy. I was in a skating rink and a bunch of guys surrounded me, about 15 of them. And my buddy was over in some seats, concessions. And they were all telling me what they were going to do to me. And I just looked at the one that was talking the most and I said, I started lacing my skates and he said, what are you doing? I said, when I get these off, I'm going to whoop every single one of you. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, what did you just say? I said, when these come off, you're all toast. I don't have time to talk. They disbanded and they left me alone. Some of us need that kind of spirit in the supernatural that says, I don't care how much you surround me. I'm not done. I'm not done. Are you not done? Did you know that there's a way to acknowledge fact while giving greater weight to the to the truth that God speaks so that it becomes your confession. And it doesn't mean that you're crazy. The disciples of Jesus had just witnessed a major miracle that transcended the facts that they were facing. The disciples themselves were very hungry. They didn't have enough to eat, let alone feed such a great multitude of people. The facts involved thousands of people far from their homes or any nearby town with nothing to eat and too far a journey to strike out hungry. That is the facts of the situation. Jesus fed that multitude of over 5,000 people 
with just five loaves and two fishes. After everyone had their fill, the disciples collected 12 baskets of fragments that they could eat. So they weren't hungry anymore either. No one was hungry any longer despite the fact that there was not enough food for them all when this process began. When you look at the situation, it is hopeless. There's no way. This is impossible. The only sustenance we can find amongst this many thousand is five loaves and two fishes. Now that could be cause for a riot. But no one left hungry. And then immediately following that amazing miracle, Jesus made his disciples get in a boat to go to the other side of the sea. So let's go to the scriptures and let's just see this occurrence described for us there in Matthew chapter 14. That's where we're going to park ourselves right now is in Matthew chapter 14. How many are ready to receive from the Word of God itself? The revelation the Holy Spirit wants to give you. (laughs) Beginning in verse 22 it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now just stop right there. It says that Jesus made them get into the boat. And the King James says he constrained them. If you look at the Greek word, it means compelled. Forcefully. In other words, what we're finding out is, these guys didn't want to do it. Now, why they didn't, I don't know. Maybe they were insisting that, no, you've got to come with us, Lord. We're going on over. You got Come on, get in the boat with us. But Jesus had some other things he wanted to take care of that didn't necessitate their presence. He wanted them to go on ahead. So it apparently got to the point he had to command them to go across the sea in the boat. For the disciples, that boat, once you're out on the sea, represents the safe way to travel across to the other side. Notice Jesus didn't say, take off swimming, boys. (laughs) When you you think of a sea, you think of a pretty big body of water, right? right? Now this wasn't the Atlantic or the Pacific. It's a smaller body of sea. But nevertheless, it's still a big body. Sea of Galilee is not exactly small, right? right? The Sea of Gennesaret, not exactly small. But it's not the Atlantic, it's not the Pacific, it's not the Indian or the Mediterranean. But it's big enough that you ain't swimming it. So you better have a safe way of getting across. And for the disciples, that safe thing was a boat. Now in our case, 
The idea of a boat can be something that makes us feel safe in uncertain circumstances. Maybe in the present situation you find yourself, there's a particular thing that makes you feel safe. That's not uncommon. It can be something that we think will carry us to our next destination in the Spirit. It's a fact that on in a, an open, angry sea, a good boat's something you don't want to be without. That's a fact. And I agree with that fact. It just makes good sense, right? And so, the things that we'll rely on a lot of times in life and our situation... They make good sense to us. It makes sense that I would be looking to this as my comfort, as my safety. Sometimes, though, even though you're in a good boat, the winds can be contrary. And contrary winds create waves that rocks your boat. Anybody ever had your boat rocked? If you've never had your boat rocked, you really, I wonder if you know Jesus. Because <laughs> if you know Jesus, he's going to put you in the boat and send you across the sea at some point in your journey, right? Amen. <laughs> so, the feeling of being safe in your journey can get shaken. And it also will make the way difficult for you. See, that's what these disciples were experiencing. They were toiling in the middle of the sea trying to get the other side. They got halfway there. How many of you yourselves or you know somebody that got halfway to where they were supposed to go according to the word of the Lord and that's as far as they got? They couldn't bring it to completion. See, even with a command and a good boat that made them feel safe, these guys were still struggling. They were still struggling. The miracle earlier that day was not helping them now. And despite their effort for much of the night, they weren't getting past halfway. But boy, are they trying. Now, have you ever launched out to do what you heard the Lord say was yours to do, only to find you couldn't get past halfway after a long time of being at it? Let's look back at the passage in Matthew 14, verse 25. Verse 27. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! <laughs> now, whether they were superstitious or just their minds could not reason, the impossibility of a human being walking on the water, and therefore it has to be a ghost. Maybe they weren't superstitious, but all of a sudden they became that. Because they couldn't overcome their natural senses and reasoning. But whatever the case, they were, they were made to fear. And they cried out in their fear. It is no consequence for you to say all the time, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. When the truth is, is that you are. You're better off to say, I'm scared to death. And cry out for some help. So here they are. It's a ghost. They cried out for fear. These are the these are the super, you know, the guys. Come on. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, 
Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. How many of you ever had somebody come to you in the midst of your circumstance and they told you something that seemed so absurd to you in the moment <laughs> that you just wanted to tell them and say, see it. <laughs> Come on. You need to understand something. The Romans broke up time into three-hour segments. That was the watches. 6 to 9 p.m. was the first watch. 9 to 12 a.m. the second. 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. the second, 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. the third watch, and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. was the fourth watch. Now you get an idea of how long the disciples have been fighting the wind and the waves. Hours. Saints, hours. Now, if you've ever rowed a boat, the last, I don't want to be on a pond in a storm in a rowboat. Come on. Let alone a seed in a big boat. So here they are. They've been out there for a lot of hours. And they see in the middle of the sea where they are, their most weary point, Jesus is walking on the sea. But they don't see it as Jesus. They see him and they cry out, it's a ghost. In the middle of their situation, their view of Jesus is off. They can't see him for who he is. But when they cry out, Jesus immediately speaks to reassure them. When you're in your storm, oftentimes your vision and your, and, and your common sense blurs the fact of Jesus. It happens to all of us. He can be revealing himself and you can mistake him for something else because it is supernatural and it surprises you. And if you cry out when that happens, he's known to be one who will speak to you. He will speak to you. I'm not sure I understand. You don't have to. That just goes to show you that none of the technology is redeemed. It's all without a clue. Sad thing is a lot of us are relying on it. So Jesus, he, he'll, he'll surprise us, but he'll speak to you. He spoke to his disciples, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. That's akin to saying, stop it. Stop it. When he shows up that way, he's wanting you to get in touch with the truth about him. That's what he's looking for. See, there were 12 guys in the boat, but when Jesus spoke, get this, 12 guys are in the boat. Jesus speaks the equivalence of stop it, but only Peter is the one who gets distracted by Jesus' words. And for a short period of time, Peter forgot the very factual circumstances he was in and rose above them. 
While his eyes were on Jesus, whatever was actually happening didn't matter. Look at it. Matthew 14, 28 through 33. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Yes. In other words, if you're walking on it, why can't I? Yes. Right. If Jesus did it, why can't you? Yes. Same Holy Spirit. Yes. So he said, Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, what did he do? He got out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw, here's the key, when he saw the facts that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Why didn't they say that at the feeding of the thousands? Now, for my purposes here today, I want us to focus on something that's revealed here. Five things. First, Jesus defied the facts about someone being able to walk on the water. Jesus doesn't care about your natural facts. Amen. Let me say that differently. Jesus isn't bound by your natural facts. He cares. For how they're affecting you. But he's not bound by them. See, Jesus showed up in a way that scared these guys. Can I tell you something? That any time that you're steeped in natural solution. And the supernatural shows up to provide a solution. It's scary. Initially, it's frightening. Yes. I remember the, after the birth of our last child, Isaac, my wife was dealing with severe postpartum depression. I felt so bad for her. She cried day and night. She was at the point of literally not really able to function but having to find a way. Because we were homeschooled. And I was working anywhere from 14 to 18 hours a day. And I finally got home one night to her in the usual puddle of tears. I'm trying to speak encouragement to her and she's saying, quit trying to fix me, mother. And I, and I, and I just, for me, I lost it. So at the time we could quarantine off our living room area, close the door. So I went in the living room, closed that door, the kids were in bed. And I began having a real conversation with Jesus. And I said, Jesus, what is going on here? And why is she going through this? Why haven't you done something here? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you do something about it. I said, what? He said, you do something about it. I gave you authority. What are you going to do with it? 
And I said, what do you mean? What do you, what do you, what do you get? And he said, go lay hands on your wife and tell that spirit of oppression and depression to get off of her now. My natural self wanted to debate the issue. I've been watching this for a long time now. My natural self is saying, no, you don't understand, Lord. If I go back there... And I put my hands on her and I say, you, you get off of her. And, and nothing happens. It might send her over the edge. I'm trying to evaluate outcomes that are not of faith. They're naturally based. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, are you going to take me at my word or not? Now, when he said it that way, yeah. my arguments melted away. Yeah. And so I went and I said, Sheila, come to the living room. She comes sobbing into the living room and I said, I, I, I know what needs to happen. You've got to trust me. And so I put my hands on her and I commanded that spirit to leave her and she was set free from her yeah. postpartum. And then I was beating myself up saying, why didn't I do this? <laughs> Back when? Well, because my, the natural circumstances had blinded me to the Jesus I could see was the solution to the problem. I was so captivated as a leader in my home by the natural circumstances I could not see what needed to happen for the sake of the one I love so much. And that happens to all of us. We were in the thick of it. We were in the middle of it. We were tired. When I was man, when I was in that living room, I complied and said, God, I can't deal with this no more. I'm trying to keep a, an upbeat attitude. This is pulling me down now. Why don't you fix this? Come, nobody else has ever gotten that honest with God? Jesus showed up in a supernatural way that at the first was scary to me. That Jesus scared me initially. But the more he revealed himself to me in the moment, the more I began to realize he knows what he's saying. That is Jesus. And he knows what he's saying. The second thing I want to focus on is the fact that Peter became distracted by Jesus and also defied the facts once he heard the Lord call him to leave the boat. Now, for a fisherman who knows the sea, knows about boats, knows all these things, he knows that getting out of the boat in a storm-tossed sea without something to keep you there, you're probably lost for good. You can be swept away by those waves out of sight so fast there's no recovery because they've not been able to move the boat even for all their efforts. 
You've got to understand that Peter is stepping out of a boat into the most insecure situation a fisherman can get himself into. This makes no logical sense to a fisherman's mind. Sometimes you have to put on another person's shoes to really understand and grab hold of what they were probably going through to do what it was that they did. But it wasn't Jesus that suggested he get out of the boat. It's Peter's idea. Knowing all that he knows, there's something about if this is Jesus, I can do this. I can do this. And he rose above the circumstances as a result. The third thing you need to see is Peter had to leave the safety of the boat to be able to walk on the water to Jesus. Jesus didn't just say, Peter, because of your words, everything's okay now. It's not just your confession, saints. It's your actions according to your confession. Peter got out of the boat. He didn't just say a good thing. He said it. And the Lord said, come. And he got out. Fourth. So long as Peter was distracted by Jesus and was captivated by Jesus, saying, come, Peter could defy the facts of his circumstance. When he kept his focus on the word of the Lord and the Lord himself, he was able to defy his circumstance. But as soon as Peter returned to being aware of the facts in the natural, he lost his ability to walk on the water. And then finally, the fifth thing I want to get through to you today is without experiencing what it is to defy the facts, based on a word from Jesus, the deeper revelation of who Jesus is remains a mystery. It remains a mystery to you. And to others. You have to get out of the boat. You have to. Don't let the facts dispute the truth. Dispute the facts with the truth instead. Run on what God said more than what you can see, hear, taste, smell, or feel in your moment. You might just find yourself manifesting something that's going to cause you and others to declare Jesus is Lord. Jesus truly is the Son of God. See, you've got to understand, they weren't making this de declaration just because Jesus said, it's I, don't be afraid. They got to see one of their own get out of the boat and walk on water to him. Then they got to see when he got distracted that the Lord himself took him up. You know what? They had to walk back to the boat on the water from the place where Peter sank. He didn't walk on water once. He walked on it twice. Twice. Remember, he was on his way to Jesus. He didn't get out of the boat and sink sense. He walked. Yeah. 
away from the boat toward Jesus. And after doing that for a distance, he got distracted by his circumstances again and began to sink. It was at that point that Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand and pulled Peter up out of the water. How did they get back to the boat? They walked. So they saw their companion not just once but twice walk on the water with Jesus. Yes. And then when Jesus and Peter are back in the boat, the storm, the wind, all of it stops and the sea calms. And what do they do? They fall and they worship Him. Why? They see something they didn't see before. Not in this way. This is not a revelation on par with my previous ones. This is more wide open than what I was seeing before. They had seen enough of Jesus to, to say, I'll leave everything and follow you. But here are these guys who have left everything to follow him. They've been seeing miracles. They've been seeing the dead raised and the thousands fed and the lepers cleansed and the lame walking. Come on. The deaf hearing. And they're just now worshiping him this way. You've got to get out of the boat. You just might find yourself manifesting something that's going to cause you and others to worship at a deeper level. Can I tell you, worshiping at a deeper, deeper level is not achieved through worship conferences. You can go to a hundred worship conferences and still worship the same way you've been worshiping your whole life. I can sing songs from the 50s and worship God. I can worship God with the revelation that the saints had in the 50s. I can worship God with the revelation the saints had in the 1800s. I can worship God with the revelation the saints had in the medieval times. My worship of God pivots on my revelation of Christ and nothing else. Nothing else. why it's so important to know Jesus. To know Him. Yes. Worship's not a gear you shift in your soul and do on a Sunday. It's a response to a revelation of who Jesus is. And when we see Him as He is, we're inspired to worship Him accordingly. And more often than not, Jesus reveals Himself to us outside the safety of our boat. You want another revelation? None of the disciples had their own personal vision for their ministry. Let me, let me explain that. They all entered the same ministry 
follow Jesus. Right. Jesus gave them their assignment. Yes. They didn't choose it. Jesus gave it. What was the assignment? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus gave the assignment. They answered that call and went where the Holy Spirit took them. It wasn't about their ministry. It was about His ministry in the earth through them. Wherever the Holy Spirit would take them and whatever the Holy Spirit would lead them to, to, to do. Today, it's a little upside down in many circles and situations because it's more about my ministry than it is about His ministry. He's not caught up in what my ministry is. He's caught up in whether or not I'm following Him and doing according to His purpose for me. That's the key. Like you heard our brother Kurt saying, what he got? In my name. got done a message here of what that really does mean. It's not just magic words. It's attitude. It's faith commitment to His will, to His purpose, to who He is. It's knowing Him. Knowing His ways. And, and we don't know all of His ways so concretely that we've got it perfected, saints. He can still show up and surprise us in many ways. And He does it. So when it comes to worship, you can't worship deeper than your revelation of Jesus at the current moment in your life. You can't do it. Even in heaven. Think about this. The voice rings out in heaven. Worthy is the Lamb. When that revelation statement goes out in heaven, what happens? The elders are throwing their crowns down. Yes. Come on. The All the hosts of heaven are bowing. Yes. They're acknowledging the glory of Jesus. Right. What had to happen? Statement of revelation had to go out. Amen. And every time that statement of revelation goes out in heaven, worship happens. Yes. Worship happens. Worship happens. When he, having who had looking like having been slain, is able to approach the, the throne of light, unapproachable light, only he is found worthy to take the scroll and open the seals thereof. And worship breaks out in heaven because a revelation of the risen Lamb of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, is going forth in glory throughout heaven. And all of that inhabit heaven are taken over with awe and fall before the Lamb of God. You can't worship past your revelation of who He is. You won't be able to do it. You can't obey beyond your revelation of who He is. <laughs> Woo. not a gear that you just shift in yourself. Yeah. Uh, right. 
It's what you're seeing with your spiritual eyes. It's not according to your natural. I don't know what circumstance you're in right now. But he's greater. He's greater. More often than not, he's going to reveal himself outside the safety of our boat. And your boat may be the way you've always done it before. See, it's time to trust him in a radical way so he can reveal himself to you in a fresh way. And just as the miracle before getting in the boat wasn't able to help the disciples in the middle of the sea. See, you might be right in the middle of your circumstance like they were. In the safety of whatever your boat is. And just like that miracle that happened before was not enough in the middle of the sea, in the safety of that boat, to help these guys. Your miracles of 2022 will not be enough to carry you into and through 2023. You need fresh revelation. I'm not talking about new doctrines that are weird and strange. That's not what I'm talking about. Now granted, true new covenant preaching and teaching seems weird and strange to people that are steeped in traditionalism and religiosity. But to the new creation with the Holy Spirit makes perfect sense when it's heard. So I'm not talking about new and strange things. I'm talking about getting the gospel right. I'm talking about getting the gospel in and getting the gospel out. Get out of your boat. I can say it this way. Get beyond yourself. Or I can say it this way. Get over yourself. I'm trying to be gracious. <laughs> Usually when the Lord deals with me, he, he uses get over yourself. Yeah. If you love the truth, it's hard for you to get offended by it. It's difficult to get offended by it. But the challenge that the Holy Spirit wants to set before us as a body of believers, saints, is that 2023 and the things that He wants to do will surprise you. You need to start getting your heart ready for that. And like I said, I don't know what your circumstances are right now. I'm totally off. I'm not, I, I'm not searching you out in social media circles and stuff like that to find out what's going on. If you think that you're letting me know what's going on in your life by putting something on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or some other outlet, I'm clueless. If you think you're informing me by putting it on group me, I'm still clueless. If you're stating it on the ladies group and thinking that my wife is telling me we've made a pact that nothing, I don't even care if it's an emergency, it is not to be shared with me if it was shared on that group. That's the ladies group. It belongs to the ladies. It doesn't belong to me. And if they wanted me to know about it, they would let me know personally. I have to have that policy. I don't know what's going on in the men's group. I don't have a clue. 
So if you think you're informing me by putting something on the men's group, I don't have a clue. Because I've chosen to separate myself from those avenues and just hear from the Holy Spirit. And then that way, if I'm ministering to you and giving you a word or something that pegs you in your current situation, you can't say, well, he must have seen that on the social media. Nope. His wife must have told him that. Nope. I didn't have any idea. It was the Holy Spirit letting you know he sees you. There's something powerful when you know the Lord sees you. That's the reason the gifts matter, saints. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. It's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit makes you aware of the fact that your God sees you. And cares for you. And loves you. And is for you. We don't have to be afraid of the supernatural gifts. We don't have to be afraid of a supernatural spirit who is our comfortable. Comforter. We don't have to be afraid of a supernatural Savior who rose from the dead, ascended on high, and is coming again very soon. That ought to give us comfort to know these things. Because His being supernatural means that even in our most difficult moment of life, He can supernaturally sustain us, and more than that, take us through what we're in the middle of to the other side. Are you hearing me this morning? Yes. Are you ready to pray? Sorry we kept you a little longer, but it's all been good, right? We don't normally go this long. But the Holy Spirit's doing what He wants to do. Father, we're just so grateful that You gave Your Son Jesus, we are so grateful that you gave yourself out of love for us. And you commissioned the promise of the Father to come, the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we're grateful you came. We're thankful for all that you have put in motion to make sure that we can not just be yours, not just be new, but follow you all the days of our lives. Lord, we're not looking to just a time when all this ceases and everything gets smooth. We want to walk through all that you have prepared for us in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, there are storms that are going to come that are contrary winds to what you've shown us to be your way, your will, your purpose. But Lord, we're asking for help from the Holy Spirit to get us out of our boat and to walk on the water with you in those situations so that we can see you in a way we've never seen him before and have our hearts enlightened, strengthened, and encouraged by the Spirit. I thank you for victories this morning. Triumphs. I thank you for miracles and healing. And signs and wonders in various lives. And sometimes they're happening and we, don't, we can't even identify them as what they are. Because we're so foreign to the concept. But you've already done many things. 
that have gone unnoticed in the lives of many. Awaken us, Holy Spirit, to have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that perceive what the Lord is doing in the earth in this hour and this time. Lord, I don't want to see anybody come up short or lacking. So I'm asking you to move mightily in our lives. And Lord, let us not get shortchanged by our disappointments or our offenses, as Grace said last Sunday. We get offended when our expectations aren't met. But Lord, let that come off the table completely. Lord, you bore our suffering. You took on our grief. You took on our shame. You did all that so that we could live in the abundance of life you want to give us. And so, Father, I'm believing you now to begin to be bring forth real revelation of Jesus in profound measure to every heart, young and old, male, female, rich, poor, makes no difference, what race, whatever, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And Lord, we thank you for giving us Holy Spirit discernment against what is so constantly thrown our way by the culture. And we'd be able to reject it and look to you and have our confidence in you. Make this church a company of witnesses for Jesus Christ without apology, shame, or fear. Give us the boldness of the Holy Spirit that we might go out and be witnesses for Jesus. In Jesus' name, everyone's in. Amen. Amen. Yes, Robin. I need to share something. Oh.